Welcome to AEM Early Access, a collaboration between Brown University Emergency Medicine and the editors of the Academic Emergency Medicine Journal. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa, and here's what we've got for you today. In April 2018, about a year ago, we podcasted here on an article about syncope prognosis based on ED diagnosis with Dr. Venkatesh Thirunyanasamandamurthy, also known as Dr. Venk. Syncope, of course, is an evergreen topic of discussion in emergency medicine, as most of us see it even multiple times in one shift. And we spend an inordinate amount of time and resources trying to determine who actually has a serious underlying cause. Today, to discuss his new article about syncope, we again welcome Dr. Venk, an associate professor in emergency medicine and the School of Epidemiology and Public Health, University of Ottawa, and emergency physician at the Ottawa Hospital, as well as a scientist with the Ottawa Hospital Research Institute. His main area of research interest is emergency department management of syncope. He is the recipient of several grants, awards, and has authored national and international guidelines on syncope. His team's most recent paper, published in AEM, is entitled The Yield of Computed Tomography of the Head Among Patients Presenting with Syncope, a Systematic Review. This paper investigates the use and yield of head CT and risk factors for serious intracranial conditions among syncope patients. First author, Dr. J. Alexander Vio, also joined us. He's a first-year resident in emergency medicine at the University of Ottawa. He began his research career with Dr. Venk during medical school and currently has an interest in pursuing alternative methods for analgesia and acute pain in the ED. They're both being interviewed today by Dr. Gabe Gao, a fourth-year emergency medicine resident here at Brown. Don't forget to hit the full text of this article, open access for the month of May, on our blog at brownemblog.com. So I'm here with Dr. Venk and Dr. Vio. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. Thank you. Hi, Gabe. How's it going? Good, good. All right. So, you know, we'll go ahead and just jump into these questions. So the first question I had for uh, for you guys was what motivated you to do this study in the first place? So having worked with Dr. Venk for a couple of years, going through some papers, we noticed that there was a lot of mention of overuse of head CT in syncope patients, uh, two examples of which uh, were the paper by Goyal et al. and the paper by Grossman. Two of these studies were kind of part of the impetus for the Choosing Wisely campaigns um, in Canada and the U.S., and now serve as support for uh, the recommendation to decrease the use of head CT in the low, the low-risk syncope patients. So having, having kind of read all of this information, we just kind of wanted to get a better idea as to, you know, the breadth and depth of, you know, the truth of these statements. And so we decided to do a systematic review just to kind of nail down all the data uh, and to, uh, and to kind of get a final number and, um, and, and get, I guess, incorporate these things into our, uh, into our eventual clinical practice. Got it. That's great. It definitely seems like a, a very relevant uh, topic for us as emergency physicians. Absolutely. Um, what was known about this from previous research about the topic? And so, as I said, you know, we reviewed a couple of papers and we noticed that somewhere between uh, about a third of patients and half of patients who came in with a presentation of uh, syncope to the emergency department um, were getting CT heads. But 
a little bit less than 5% uh, actually had any findings later on that kind of correlated with these um, acute intracranial events that we mentioned in our systematic review. The evidence is a little bit scattered. Uh, so we thought that, you know, doing the systematic review to synthesize um, all the numbers together to get a, you know, a reasonable average as to, uh, as to how much that it's actually used. Um, and then also to explore any risk factors that could be associated with these patients that actually do have these intracranial events um, discovered. So Dr. Vink, can you tell us a little bit about how you went about pursuing the study question and your study methods? So this is a systematic review. So we systematically reviewed the literature that is out there in the three major databases, Embase, Medline, and Cochrane databases. We reviewed all the articles um, that would match our criteria from its inception to June 2017. We included those articles that studied adult patients with syncope and who had a CT of the head performed and the results of the CT head were available. We excluded articles such as case reports, reviews, letters to editors, and pediatric articles. So we did not want all of them because our focus was adult patients with syncope. Overall, by reviewing these databases, we found close to 3,800 articles uh, that could potentially match our requirement. Uh, as a first step, two authors uh, in our um, uh, in the article um, checked all of the titles and abstracts to see if the articles addressed the question that we were asking, which is what proportion of patients had a CT of the head done among patients with syncope? What is the yield of the CT head among these patients? And the last question uh, is, were there any risk factors that were identified among these patients? So uh, from the 3,800 articles, there were 44 articles that were selected for full review, and a total of 17 articles be included in the systematic review. Gotcha. And did that research identify any particular risk factors from the history or exam that increased the diagnostic yield of head CT and CT? The review identified some risk factors. The risk factors included if you're older, if your age is, you're 65 years or older, uh, if you had a previous history of seizure or a stroke, you suffered trauma during your syncope, you were using an anticoagulant warfarin, uh, and if you, on clinical examination, you found some abnormal neurological findings then you are at higher risk of having some serious underlying intracranial condition. A few things to note in here are that there were not robust numbers and odds ratios that were reported for us to do a meta-analysis. So we present only the risk factors. That's number one. And uh, number two is that only few of the studies identified these risk factors. Um, so we have a little bit more work to do in this area. All right. So the diagnosis of syncope, as we know, you know, can be something that's quite challenging in the emergency department uh, on occasion. Was it truly a syncopal event? Was it actually a seizure? Did something else happen entirely? Sometimes those cases can be a little bit ambiguous. Does that confound the question of what the diagnostic yield of head CT and syncope is uh, in any way, do you think? So, Gabe, yeah, I, I do agree. It is a bit of a challenge, uh, especially for somebody like myself, uh, who's a first year resident, uh, you know, just starting to you know, experience these patients. Um, 
it's it's difficult, especially when you have somebody giving you a collateral, uh, you know, re, re, um, a collateral history of what had happened um, without knowing the, the specific risk factors. So take take for example the nine patients uh, in our study that had space occupying lesions. Um, those patients who had a syncope would very well uh, are likely to have. Um, seizure-like activity, um, just based on the you know the mass effect created by the space occupying lesion, but based on looking through some of these studies, um, one being specifically Al Nasur, but great emphasis on doing a proper history. Um, so that is um, being able to um, get a good history describing this transient loss of consciousness with a spontaneous and complete return to baseline rather than um, anything like a post-dictal period, um, you know, all the risk factors that we consider, you know, that fall in, in, in line with the seizure, you know, tongue biting, urinary incontinence, et cetera. Um, and then, of course, um, doing a good physical examination, including a full neurological examination, um, or as best as you can uh, in a busy emergency department, to, to really put those two together to uh, identify syncope as opposed to seizure. I do agree that some will uh, you know, s potentially slip through the cracks in, in the sense that some people who had a true syncope may be scanned um, on head CT, but um, ultimately, you know, if the time is taken, um, it, is, it is possible to, uh, to kind of separate those two uh, just based on definition. Dr. Vink, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah. So uh, on the question of differentiating syncope from seizure, it, yes, it can be challenging. Yes, it can pose a diagnostic challenge to the physician. But luckily, those number of cases where these type of challenges occur are very low. Very small number of patients where we will be uh, caught in between whether it's just a seizure or a syncope. Um, in the large um, prospective study that we did um, of 4,000 patients, like one in 1,000 patients, i.e. four patients, where it's where uh, such a dilemma existed. Um, so it's going to be very small numbers where you will have this dilemma, uh, particularly as uh, Dr. Vio mentioned, if you go through a proper steps in the form of a history, how was the loss of consciousness? Was the loss of consciousness sudden and onset transient with a spontaneous complete recovery and there was no residual neurological deficit? then the likelihood that you will face this dilemma is very small. Okay. So what do you think we can take home from this study? Uh, you know, what's the bottom line for people? So bottom line, we are doing too many CTs. The yield is fairly lower. So we should be cautious in using CT of the head among patients with syncope, particularly who are at lower risk. What are the results of this, of this review? Uh, there were a total of uh, 17 patients, 17 articles, sorry, there were a total of 17 articles that were included in the systematic review. Uh, eight were emergency-based studies, about 1,700 patients, more than 50% had a CT of the head done, and the yield was 3.8%. If you look at the three, the if you look at the six inpatient studies that were included in the systematic review, there were approximately thirteen hundred patients in these studies. Again, 
close to 45% had a city of the head. The yield was 1.2%. These are all the patients that are put together, those patients whom I talked about the risk factors that are older patients who, had, who are on warfarin, who had a previous history of seizure or stroke, and who had trauma and abnormal neurological findings. Now, if you use these risk factors, and none of these risk factors are there in the patient in front of you, the yield is likely even lower than 1%. If you have these risk factors, then the yield is probably higher than the 5% because the systematic review included all patients, those with and without the risk factors. Um, so if your patient does not have any of these risk factors, think twice before doing a CT of the head. Your yield is less than 1%. If you have all of these risk factors, yes, go ahead and uh, do a CT of the head. Probably your yield will be higher. Got it. And do you know if this type of research has been expanded to look at diagnostic yield for other imaging modalities uh, with other presentations of syncope? I know we think about this a lot, you know, when we're seeing patients in the emergency department, someone who presents with syncope and abdominal pain, you think about, you know, a ruptured AAA or perforated viscous or someone with syncope and shortness of breath, uh, thinking about the possibility of pulmonary embolism. Uh, Has that been looked into at all? So what I can say is that that, um, with respect to patients who present with abdominal pain, uh, once again, the chance of finding anything, an acute intra-abdominal condition is really low. Um, If you look at um, all the studies that have been done, approximately 10% of patients will have serious underlying conditions that can be attributed to the syncope that will be identified within the 30 days. About 5% of them will have non-arrhythmic conditions, and among those with intra-abdominal conditions, it's going to be really low. We are talking about 1% to 2%. Some of them will be very clearly evident on clinical examination. So just routine use of CT of the abdomen is not advocated. We will look at it in a future study because we do have a cohort of 10,000 plus patients. We can look at what types of CT of the abdomen were done and what is the yield of the CT of the abdomen. Coming to the next question about PE, probably the uh, audience and the listeners would have uh, uh, heard about this famous or infamous Bessage study, which was published, which showed that one in six patients had an underlying PE. It was a biased sample of patients who were hospitalized, who were admitted to the thrombosis unit, and so I expect them to have one in six to have a PE. Since then, we have actually combined two large cohorts of patients out of US and Canada, which constitute about 9,000 plus patients, and we published it in the Annals of Emergency Medicine, uh, where we found that the prevalence of PE is 0.6%. So the overall prevalence of PE among patients who present to the emergency department is less than 1%. So we have to be really cautious in using uh, imaging such as CTPA for um, suspected PEs. Got it. And what do you think the next steps in this area of research are? So you brought up an important point about investigations among patients with syncope. Overall, more and more evidence uh, from all of the syncope research is coming out that we are to be using our investigations very cautiously, and the yield of many of these investigations is pretty low. 
particularly on the point of doing a CT of the head. We know that um, there is overuse, the yield is low. There are some risk factors we have identified. Because the number of patients who have serious underlying conditions is really low, we need a large sample size in order to develop robust risk factors in, uh, to identify those patients who will have some abnormalities. Um, we have about 10,000 patients in our cohort, so when we have enough number of patients with CT of the head who had performed and some abnormalities that we, we found on those CTs, we'll be able to accurately identify risk factors and tell to frontline clinicians and practitioners that these will be the risk factors, and when these risk factors are present, then do a CT of the head. So basically, we are in the process of developing some robust risk factors that will help frontline clinicians. Got it. Well, this was a great article with you know some very important clinical implications, I think, based upon the results. And I just want to thank you guys again, Dr. Vank and Dr. Vial, for taking the time to be on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks, Thanks so much. for the opportunity. Appreciate it, Gabe. Thanks for listening to this month's AEM Early Access. The full text of this article is available on our blog at brownemblog.com. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Search for AEM Early Access, all one word. Today's music is by Scott Holmes. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa, and we'll see you next time.